Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 43 of the One Mind Meditation Podcast. Quick note here, I'm visiting family right now, and so this week is a replay of an earlier podcast. Since we're coming up to the new year, moving from 2015 to 2016, I reckon a lot of you are probably like me, thinking about your New Year's resolutions. So here's one of my early podcasts, a real favorite, on the magic of keystone habits and how to create one. This is also apropos because we'll be launching the meditation habit course on aboutmeditation.com in early 2016. And this podcast is a great little primer for that. If you're listening to this during the holidays, I wish you a mindful, joyful, and loving season. Thank you for your incredible support. I really mean that. 2015 was a great year for the One Mind Meditation podcast tribe, and that's all of us listening. But 2016 is going to be amazing. Okay, let's do this. Hello. This podcast is sponsored by aboutmeditation.com. Learn meditation at aboutmeditation.com. Welcome to the One Mind Podcast from aboutmeditation.com. My name's Morgan Dix, and I'm your host. On One Mind, we explore different angles on meditation, mindfulness, and health. We interview experts and everyday practitioners to bring you the stories, the science, and the exploration that will help you understand why this ancient practice is more relevant and important today than ever before. Hi, everybody. This week, we're going to have a shorter episode, and it's just me. I want to share with you some fascinating information about habits and how to create them. One of the biggest questions we get at aboutmeditation.com is people asking, How can I turn meditation into a lasting habit? I stopped and started several times and I know the benefits, but I have trouble making it stick. So if you struggle with that, this episode is for you. Over the last six months or so, I've been able to harness something called the habit loop and it's helped me lose 15 pounds and develop a whole array of new healthy habits and meditation has been the foundation for all of it. I want to break that all down for you and let you know how I did it because there's really a science to it. But also, I want you to understand the part that meditation played as a keystone habit. And I'll explain more about that and how you can use this same step-by-step process to build new healthy habits and ultimately change your life for the better. But before we get into it, I wanted to start with a huge thank you. Thanks to you guys, we were ranked number one in iTunes' new and noteworthy category for alternative health. That was amazing, and I didn't expect it. And that's all you. And I'm so grateful for all your kind reviews and positive ratings that basically sent us to number one. And if you haven't let me know yet what you think of the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And again, thank you. Thank you for your precious time, your attention, and for your support. So, okay, now back to habits. So like I said, 
I've been able to make some huge positive changes in my life for the last six months. And really, it's all down to one small thing I learned about called habit loops. Of course, there were a lot of different factors that helped me make these changes, but if I had to boil it all down, it would be this, it would be habit loops. These are the things that drive most human behavior. And by hacking into these habit loops, which is something any of us can do with just a little bit of knowledge and willpower, you can make major positive changes in your life. So for example, if you've struggled to make meditation a lasting habit in your life, this is how you can do it. Habit loops. And I'm going to introduce you to some other key concepts that will let you harness the habit loop, but also take it much further through practices like habit stacking and keystone habits. But before we go into all of that, here's how we're going to do this show. In part one, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the changes I was able to make in my own life. Then in part two, we're going to talk a little bit about the science of habits, how to make them, and what the science tells us about them. And in part three, we break it down into a step-by-step process that you can put into action at the end of this podcast. And I'm going to turn you on to a bunch of valuable resources that can support you the whole way through. My goal is for you to feel confident at the end of this show that you can apply the soft skills that you're going to learn and that I'm sharing with you to start a meditation practice that's going to stick and hopefully go beyond merely a meditation practice. Hopefully you can harness some of these concepts I'm, I'm going to share with you and take it to a completely different level. Many of you know that I'm a longtime meditator. I'm 40 years old now, and I started meditating a little over 20 years ago. From 1999 to 2013, that's about 14 years, I lived and worked in a spiritual ashram, a meditation and yoga center. We meditated a minimum of two hours every single morning, and on Sundays, we meditated anywhere from three to eight hours. Several weekends, we would just meditate from midnight to 6 a.m. At least once a year, I would go on a silent retreat for anywhere from 10 to 21 days. Eventually, I left the ashram in the summer of 2013. Based on that, you can tell having a daily meditation practice, that, that's not new for me. But after leaving the ashram, I took a break and stopped meditating regularly. I did it periodically when I was moved to do it. After so many years, I needed a little break. But then several months ago, an interesting thing happened. I read this book. It's an incredible book and I can't recommend it enough. It's called My Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And I got to tell you just a little bit about Hal. He's got an amazing story. And it's his story that really captured my imagination and my interest and compelled me to read his book. Long story short, Hal was 
in his early 20s. He was a salesman at Cutco Knives. He was on his way up. He was a salesman and he was breaking records as a salesman and doing a fabulous job and was invited at one of their annual sales conferences to present, to give a talk to everyone. So he did it and he got a standing ovation. That night, after leaving the venue, he gets into his new Mustang with his girlfriend at the time, on top of the world, and he drives home. It's probably 10 or 11 at night. He's driving down the highway about 70 miles per hour. At the same time that he was leaving the venue, there was another man leaving a bar on the other side of town, got in his car, got on the same highway, going in the opposite direction, in the wrong lane. There it is, Hal's driving down the highway, and they collide head to head, 70 miles per hour. Hal's car goes spinning, and then the car behind him, traveling 70 miles per hour, smashes into him. He basically dies at the scene of the accident. He bleeds out. He's dead for about six full minutes before the paramedics are able to revive him. He goes into a coma. He wakes up, I don't remember, it's like six or ten days later, and he's got no short-term memory. He's got such profound brain damage because his skull was crushed in the accident that every time they tell him what happened and why he's there at the hospital, it lasts for as long as he's awake, but every time he falls asleep and wakes up again, he's confused. His parents have to tell him why he's there in the hospital, reliving the tragedy again and again. Unimaginable. The doctors tell him he's never going to walk again. He's going to be mentally impaired his entire life. He is going to suffer profoundly. A couple of weeks go by and Hal's dad gets a call from the surgeons, the doctors, the attending doctors there, and they say, we think something is really wrong with Hal because basically every morning when we come in, he's cheerful and he's trying to sell us cut cone knives and he's making us laugh. You're reading the story, you're like, what? And his dad obviously is confounded by this and they ask Hal's dad to come in and have a heart-to-heart because they think this is not normal behavior. He must still be in shock. The trauma of it is so deep that he's just in denial of what has happened to him. And fair enough, that makes sense to me that doctors would think that. So his dad goes in and has a heart-to-heart and Hal basically, as he relates it in the book, says, Dad, one thing I learned in my sales training was that there's some things you can change, there are other things you can't. And the things you can't change, you gotta let them go. And this situation that I'm in with my body, I gotta let it go. There's nothing I can do about it. There's something incredibly heroic about his position in relationship to the tragedy of of his accident. Amazingly, a week later, his Doctors come in, they say, how we don't know how to tell you this, but basically you are recovering at a miraculous rate. We want you to start walking tomorrow. Now remember, they told him he was never going to walk again. So he's walking tomorrow. Within, I can't remember the number of months, but within a couple months, he's back at Cutco and he's competing and he's up at like the fourth level and the third level and he's he's back on the charts as one of the top salesmen. Amazing. So... 
the story goes on, and I, I don't want to tell you everything, but he goes through some more ups and downs. He comes out at the other end with this book, an amazing book, all about a morning routine and how to harness your morning through a simple protocol he's put together that is a combination of a period of silence followed by reviewing your annual goals and your goals for the day and really connecting to those goals, reading affirmations, exercising, journaling. But basically I said, all right, this seems like a cool little protocol. I'm going to try it. And so I did it. I started to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. And so for me, the order of it went, I do the meditation. I follow that with affirmations. And then I follow that by reviewing all my goals and then really visualizing myself achieving those goals and connecting to it emotionally by reading sentences that I wrote that describe why I want to achieve those goals. And then I go and I exercise. Okay, so that's just fulfilling his basic prescription. And that's powerful. But then it was kind of what happened after that that really started to get me fired up and which I really wanted to share with you was that I started to be able to create all these other new healthy habits around this one. The first one was I've been playing guitar since high school, since I was a freshman, probably like 25, 28 years. And I've always played in fits and starts and fits and starts. Since starting my morning miracle, I have been able to do my half an hour of guitar practice every morning pretty much without fail for, at this point, over four months. I've never been able to do that before. It's always been hot and cold on and off. And now I'm experiencing for the first time in my life very steady, measured, and consistent improvement. I'm amazed by it. Okay, so that was the first thing. The second thing was I started to lose weight. I knew I wanted to lose weight, but I was about 15 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. So I just slowly but methodically started to throttle back my daily portions at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And sure enough, over four months, I lost 15 pounds. All these new habits just started to follow on the tail of the miracle morning. I also, at the same time, started to recognize the power of really setting just a few significant goals for every day. Like, what's the one thing that I want to get accomplished today so that by doing it, everything else is going to be gravy. And by doing that, I started to realize a level of focus that I had never experienced before, a level of direction and an ability to wave off distraction in ways that I had never been able to do before because I had already set my main goal for the day so that by the time I got to work, I just knew what I needed to do. And I knew that anything that wasn't that was not what was most important to me. And I had already set a momentum first thing in the morning to get that done. This was the third thing I noticed was this enhanced focus and drive. In the process, I discovered two other amazing books. One was called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And the other one 
is called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Now, the one thing, that's what really started to turn me on to the power of really focusing on just one or two things at any given time in any given endeavor to have the maximum impact. And combining it with this focus generated from my morning miracle, it just enabled me to do things I'd never been able to do before, especially in terms of productivity. So that's kind of a quantitative effect, but then it had a qualitative effect. I started to realize that I was happier because I knew what the most important thing to do was every day. I know what the most important thing is I need to get done. Everything on top of that, gravy. And that's amazing. Now for me, I've discovered a lot of that has to do with managing my own expectations, setting appropriate goals, and following through on them. Now, am I perfect every day? No, of course not. But as a general rule, yeah, I feel differently at the end of my day. I feel happier with what I've accomplished. I feel a sense of resolution. And that, for me, is priceless because, look, this is every day is what our lives are made up of. So you want every day to have that feeling, that sense of completion, resolution. That was the one thing. And then the second book I discovered was The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And so that's a good point for us to transition into the second part. But first, just want to say a few more things. Because of this initial habit, I seem to have a new level of focus and an increase in willpower. I was able to make changes where I wasn't before. I lost 15 pounds. I started to develop on the guitar after 25 years of fits and starts. My writing output increased. My sense of achievement and completion increased by the end of the day. My sense of presence and my own capacity to pay attention to the world around me and the joy and the pleasure I derived from that presence, those all increased more and more. This miracle morning practice, which really, for me, had meditation at the heart of it, was slowly but surely transforming my life. And it continues to this day. Slowly but surely, I'm knocking off my annual goals, which I set for myself at the beginning of the year. That's completely new for me. I've never done that before. I've always been disciplined, but this is different. How's it different? I'm not being helped by a prescriptive daily schedule like I had in the ashram with people practicing the same meditation and the same schedule all around me. What's different is that these are my practices based on my goals. And now they're empowering me and in a way that's kind of totally surprised me, they're amplifying each other. And this is what I would love for you to take away from this podcast episode today as we start to break it all down. So I think now let's take a step back. How is this all working? This is where Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, really comes into play. It's helped me understand the actual mechanics of all this, how all this was possible. First, let's talk a little bit about the science and then... We're going to break it all down and see what the step-by-step process is behind all this.
So now let's get into part two. What can science tell us about how to create habits? In my research into this, I actually discovered there's not a whole lot of science per se behind habit creation. There is one really formative study from 2009. It comes from University College London. And that study really is the benchmark for habit creation at this point. They found a sweet spot for habit creation. And that sweet spot is about 66 days. You've probably heard it's popular to say these days that a new habit takes 30 days to create. I haven't been able to, to find any science to support that claim. This University College of London study was the only real scientific study I could find that could say, based on research, that it took X amount of days to form a habit. So it's important to remember while the results of this study varied for everyone, 66 days was the all-important average. So it's pretty safe to assume that if you're trying to start a new habit, you should give yourself at least two months to create a new habit, and in our case, a new meditation habit. So what's so special about 66 days? Well, a new behavior like meditation becomes a habit at the magical moment it becomes automatic. This term automaticity is the neurological phenomenon referring to the moment when the amount of energy required by your brain to carry out your new behavior plummets. Automaticity simply means that it requires less energy from your brain and a new behavior becomes automatic after your brain has really worn a new groove into your neural circuitry. At that point, your brain has to make a fraction of the effort to get you onto that meditation cushion. That's the magic of automaticity. And that's what we're shooting for when we're creating a new habit. We want it to become automatic. We don't want to have to think about it. It can't take the same amount of willpower, energy, and effort. It has to just be something we don't have to think about. So that's the goal here. That's the target. That's what we're shooting for. But the odds are against us. And that's also what I discovered in some of my research. In an annual newsletter from the director of the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine, they cited research that tracked people's behaviors related to New Year's resolutions. And that's, so that's a good area for us to look at habits. And they found that after just one month into the new year, only 60% of us are keeping up with our New Year's resolutions. Five months later, that percentage gets cut by more than half. And then it's a steady decline to an 8% success rate after that, meaning only 8% of us actually fulfill our new habits tied to our New Year's resolutions. Not the greatest numbers. And that's also... Well, it's illuminating because it points out why it's so important for us to learn how to hack the habit loop. So let's move on to part three and habit loops. What is a habit loop and how can you hack it to make meditation a lasting habit for you? 
So what is a habit loop? This is something I learned in this book I told you about by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. Habits follow very predictable patterns of creation called habit loops. And the good news is that you and I can hack our habit loops. And here's how it works. Every habit starts with a cue or a trigger. For me, my meditation cue is finishing my cup of coffee first thing after I wake up. The next two steps in the habit loop are routines and rewards. My routine is sitting on my meditation cushion and starting my miracle morning routine. My reward is the immediate and long-term relief I get from my crazy mind and my hyperactive thoughts. But as I described earlier, over time, the reward has also grown to include focus, fulfillment, a sense of purpose and drive and accomplishment. That all comes from the habit stacking and building my habits on that keystone habit of meditation. The rewards grow, and as they do, my habit grows stronger and more reliable. So Q plus routine plus reward equals your habit loop. So I'm going to repeat that one more time. Q or trigger plus routine plus reward equals your habit loop. That's the simple equation that you need to master to make meditation a habit. So let's go through a simple six-step plan to create your meditation habit. So you know some of the basic research and you have a pretty good grasp now on how habits are formed with the habit loop. And now it's time to put it into practice. So here's the plan. Number one in this six steps is make a plan. First, decide how long you want to meditate. You want to keep it simple. Maybe start with five to ten minutes max. It needs to be simple, modest enough that it's not a hurdle. Then pick a practice technique and stick with it for the whole time. And then finally, commit to doing this practice for 66 days. That is key to get to that magic point, that alchemical moment of automaticity. Number two, pick a trigger. So you need a reliable trigger. For me, it's my morning cup of coffee. For you, it could be making your bed brushing your teeth, or finishing your morning yoga routine. I think it's best to meditate in the morning, so that cup of java works for me like a charm. But you need something that's going to work for you, so pick a trigger. So we've covered number one, make a plan. Number two is pick a trigger. Number three, map out your routine. Be clear about your routine in advance so you don't waste any time energy, or willpower on it. It's enough to just get this whole thing rolling. So if you can minimize any choices you have to make at any point in this process, you want to do that. And that's the point of us creating a plan and at this point, mapping out your routine in advance. You want to lock down your routine before you start. So be clear about where you're going to meditate and when. And stick with the same practice for all 66 days. Step four, establish your reward. 
So here's the thing about rewards. You can have an intrinsic or an extrinsic reward. Feelings of peace, calm, focus, and fulfilling your commitment. Those are all intrinsic rewards. They're rewards that come from within. And they tend to be more powerful. An extrinsic reward would be like putting a gold star on your calendar or rewarding yourself with a mocha latte. Extrinsic rewards are still powerful and they're effective, but they're not as powerful as intrinsic rewards. You want to experiment and find out which one works best for you. Maybe a combination of both. That's your bulletproof strategy, so maybe you can try that. But whatever you choose, be clear about it up front and then be consistent. Okay, so we've made a plan, we've picked a trigger, we've mapped out our routine, we've established our reward. And now number five, you need to be accountable. So this is really important. This kind of seals the deal. We all need support. Set up someone you can report to each day to say whether you did your practice or not. You can also set negative consequences like promising to pay someone money if you don't follow through. That's a totally legitimate way to keep yourself accountable. Another form of accountability is making a public announcement to your friends or on Facebook. Whatever it is, you need to be accountable to someone or some consequence bigger than you. That just seems to be true for all of us. We can't always rely on ourselves because most of us are fickle and no matter how much willpower we have, no matter how disciplined we are, we all go through ups and downs and sometimes those fail. So having this accountability system bigger than you, it creates a sense of obligation and that's powerful. And So you want to set that up. Number six, the final step. You can increase your time. If you're sailing along and feeling good, try to inch up the amount of time you practice. I got this one from Barry Davenport, who you might have heard in our previous interview in episodes five and six. Even if you're feeling super confident, make your changes small if you increase your time. Nothing dramatic because you want the odds totally stacked in your favor. If you go from like five minutes to 20, and then you try and do that every day, that's a big increase, and you just may not be ready for it. Try and go up by an order of like a few minutes, maybe five-minute increments. So go from five to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20 if you're really getting confident. But just don't rush it. There's no need to rush this. You're going to succeed if you're consistent. The consistency is more important than increasing your time. Only increase your time if you're really starting to hit a stride with this and then do it in an iterative fashion. If you stick to this simple six-step plan, you'll be on your way to creating a habit that's going to stick. You're going to lay down the neural pathway in your brain to make meditation automatic. And you'll have a whole structure the habit loop, to make it stick. Before we wrap up, there are two more concepts that I want to introduce you to. So remember in my story, I talked about all these other habits I was able to create. Meditation was the heart or is the heart of my morning miracle routine. But as I described, 
it seemed to have a halo effect, it meaning setting up my miracle morning with meditation in the middle of it allowed me to create all these other habits. And Charles Duhigg has a word for this. He calls it a keystone habit. One of the most popular and well-known keystone habits is running. And what a keystone habit is, it's a habit that influences a lot of your other behaviors. So for example, running has been shown to have these knock-on effects where people suddenly, they go to bed earlier, they wake up earlier. Suddenly all these other routines start to form around that central habit of running. People have an easier time quitting smoking. Think of a keystone habit like, in my example, meditation and the morning miracle routine was my keystone habit. I think of that like the sun. And then I think about all those other habits like orbiting planets that got set into motion when I really established that sun. And that sun, it gives energy to all the other planets. And all those planets, they orbit around the sun because it's really in the center of all of it. And that's how you want to think about a keystone habit. It's the center of all your other habits. Now, the other associated concept I want to introduce to you is habit stacking. Habit stacking is basically what I did. When you establish your keystone habit, you're able to tie new habits or stack new habits on top of existing habits. So if you successfully create a keystone habit like meditation and you get some momentum with that, you can start adding new habits on top of it to your routine. But you want to know that this is a capacity you have. We are malleable in our behavior, but we are beholden to habit loops. Most of our lives are composed of habit loops. And the thing that powers your habit loop is desire for a particular reward. And you want to always be really clear when you're creating this new habit loop or you're hacking an existing habit loop to stack other habits, what is that desire that you're stoking? And you want to be clear about what that reward is that you want because that desire, that want, that's what powers your habit loop. And you can begin to harness that desire for good. Keystone habits and habit stacking. Those are really important additional concepts for you to grasp. Those concepts and practices helped me take my morning miracle routine and take it to a completely different level, use it as a lever to affect all these other areas of my life. And that's what I want for you from this podcast is to get that you, through changing your habit loops, through hacking your habit loops, can make incredible changes in your life, probably more than you realize. That was the case for me, that's for sure. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the One Mind Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. I love to hear from you and I'd love to know what you thought of the show. I mentioned several books in today's show. I'm going to include all of them in the show notes. You can find the show notes at aboutmeditation.com forward slash podcast. That's aboutmeditation.com forward slash podcast. And finally, I love to end each show with a quote. And today we're going to end 
with a quote from Hal Elrod from his book, The Miracle Morning. He says, If you want to immediately reduce your stress levels, to begin each day with a kind of calm, clarity, and peace of mind that will allow you to stay focused on what's most important in your life, and even dance on the edge of enlightenment, do the opposite of what most people do. Start every morning with a period of purposeful silence. Thank you.